Section 12 of Kentucky's Famous Feuds and Tragedies by Charles G. Mutzenberg. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Kentucky's Famous Feuds and Tragedies by Charles G. Mutzenberg. Section 12. The Tolliver Martin Logan Vendetta, Part 3. On the ninth of December, on the same day that Judge Stewart canceled the order for delivery of the prisoner by the jailer of Clark County, an order was delivered into the hands of A. M. Bowling, town marshal at Farmers, directing him to demand Martin from the jailer at Winchester and to convey him to the county jail at Moorhead. The order also directed the jailer of Clark County to surrender Martin into the custody of Bowling. The plot was shrewdly planned. The order, forged of course, would open the doors of the Winchester jail without difficulty, and the prisoner must therefore become an easy victim on his way to Rowan County. Bowling, a Tolliver clansman, engaged four other members of it to accompany him to Winchester. Hall, Eastman, Milt, and Ed Evans four men to convey a handcuffed prisoner. It was deemed best to send a sufficient number to prevent outsiders from interfering in the final act of the inhuman drama staged by Craig Tolliver and his henchmen. On arriving at the jail at Winchester, Bowling presented his order, which was signed by two justices of the peace of Rowan County, and which directed the delivery of Martin to Bowling. The order was carefully drawn in the usual form, and had every appearance of genuineness. A few minutes after John Martin's wife had bidden her husband good-bye at the Winchester jail, Bowling presented his order for the delivery of Martin. While the wife was at the station awaiting the arrival of the train which was to carry her homeward, little dreaming that she had clasped the hand of her husband warm with life for the last time, the prisoner was aroused by his keeper and told to prepare for his removal to Moorhead. Martin at once became suspicious. He remonstrated against the transfer, but the jailer produced the order. The prisoner pleaded long and earnestly. He explained to the official that he had received definite information through his wife that on account of the danger that awaited him at Moorhead, the county authorities of Rowan County had indefinitely postponed his removal. He insisted that Bowling and his companions were his deadly enemies, that every surrounding circumstance pointed to treachery, and that his delivery into the hands of Bowling meant nothing more nor less than assassination. The jailer turned a deaf ear to his entreaties. He argued that a refusal to comply with the imperative order of the Rowan County judge would involve him in trouble. He had no right to believe the order forged. It bore the stamp of genuineness. It seems to us, however, that a more circumspect officer, informed of the conditions and circumstances surrounding the prisoner, acquainted with the dangerous state of affairs in Rowan County, as the result of which Martin had been removed to Winchester, would have held the prisoner until he could have communicated with the authorities at Moorhead. Disobedience to the court's orders, intended for the protection of a helpless prisoner, 
could not have been subject to censure, especially when the forgery of the order was later on established. He might easily have verified the genuineness of the paper by telegraph. Blind obedience often works injury. Threatening disasters through blunders of commanding officers have often been averted by the disobedience of inferior officers, who preferred facing court-martial rather than become a party to useless slaughter and defeat. John Martin was delivered to Bowling and his companions. Securely shackled, he was marched to the train. Doubtless he suffered the same mental agony as does the man on the way to the scaffold. It was pathetic chance that Mrs. Martin boarded the same train. She entered another coach, entirely ignorant of her husband's presence in the next one. While this occurred at Winchester, Craig Tolliver and his band had already assembled at Farmers, ready to play their part in the cowardly deed. Armed to the teeth, they were posted at and near the railway station, impatiently awaiting the arrival of the train. The night was dark and disagreeable, perfectly suited for a hold-up. Presently the flash of light pierces the gloom. The shriek of the engine whistle echoes mournfully through the night. The train bearing John Martin thunders toward the station. The air brakes wheeze. The train slows up. The conductor cries, All out for farm. He does not finish the call of the station. A pistol is thrust into his face. Armed men board the engine and cover the engineer and fireman. Others enter the coach in which Martin is sitting, handcuffed, utterly helpless, surrounded by bowling and his confederates. Martin sees the men enter and instinctively realizes that his end has come. He attempts to rise to his feet. Instantly shots are fired. Martin sinks back upon his seat, lifeless, his protectors calmly witnessing the murder. Martin's wife, in another coach, had up to this time believed her husband secure in his cell at Winchester. But the moment she heard the shots, unaccountable, undefinable dread seized her. Instinctively she rushed to the scene of the tragedy and found her suspicions realized. There lay the blood-covered body of her husband, literally torn to pieces and perforated with leaden messengers of death. All that the faithful, grief-stricken wife could do was to order the remains taken on to Moorhead. Martin was buried amid a large concourse of sorrowing friends and relatives. The solemnity of the occasion accorded ill with the many oppressed, yet none the less ominous threats of terrible and swift punishment of the murderers. The news of the cowardly assassination spread like wildfire over the county. The war had begun in earnest. From the day John Martin's body was consigned to the grave, the angel of peace departed from Rowan County. For more than three years a reign of terror was to sweep over it with all its attendant horrors, cutting a wide path of desolation and misery. Deeds of violence now occurred at frequent intervals. 
all manner of crime went unpunished by the law. The whole machinery of the law was rotten, the officers of the courts being themselves partisans, in some instances very active as such. Mr. Young, the county attorney, was the first to feel the wrath of the Martin faction. While riding along the road on Christie Creek, he was shot from ambush and painfully, but not fatally, wounded. The perpetrators of this deed were not definitely known, but Young's friends claimed to have certain information that the men who attempted his assassination had acted under instructions from the Martin faction, which had openly accused Young of playing into the hands of the Tollivers, and had even gone so far as to allege that he had with them connived in the murder of John Martin. Whether he was or was not a Tolliver sympathizer, another murder committed soon afterward was laid at the door of the Tollivers, to avenge, it was charged, the wounding of Mr. Young. Under the circumstances, this gentleman determined to and did remove from the county, where his life was evidently no longer safe he located in an adjoining county. At the succeeding election, his son was elected to the office his father had vacated. The murder above referred to was that of Stuart Baumgartner. Cook Humphrey, the Republican sheriff, had appointed him a deputy. On the 17th day of March, 1885, Baumgartner rode along Christie Creek, when, almost at the identical spot where Mr. Young had been fired upon, he was shot and instantly killed from ambush. No one was ever indicted for that killing, but it was generally believed, charged, and never denied that Craig Tolliver's subordinates were the murderers. Shortly after the death of Baumgartner, and during the month of April 1885, Cook Humphrey and a stranger, afterwards ascertained to have been Ed Pierce of Greenup County, Kentucky, appeared on the streets of Moorhead, heavily armed and followed by a number of Martin sympathizers. This act of defiance called forth bitter denunciation from the Tollivers and their friends, among whom was ex-Sheriff Day and Jeff Bowling, men of reckless courage. The leaders of the opposing factions assembled every available man and provided them with arms. The most determined preparations were made to fight out their differences on the streets of Moorhead. Humphrey's headquarters were at the Carey House, a hotel owned and operated by James Carey, an ex-captain of the Union Army and a very influential citizen. The Tollivers occupied the Cottage Hotel near the Chesapeake and Ohio Railway Depot, then owned by Dr. R. L. Raines. As quickly as possible, a message was forwarded to Craig Tolliver, absent from Moorhead at the time. He came, accompanied by a number of Tollivers from Elliott County. The battle opened fast and furious. A continuous fire from many guns kept the citizens of the town in terror for many hours. The balls whizzed through every portion of the ill-fated village. Storehouses and dwellings were riddled. 
none dared to enter the streets or expose his body for an instant the carry house apparently bore the brunt of the firing hundreds of balls struck and shattered the slight frame structure the tollivers besides superior numbers had the advantage of position their marksmanship was better too humphrey and his clan soon realized that a charge upon their position would mean their annihilation so at an opportune moment the carry house was abandoned and the tollivers remained in undisputed control in spite of the long-continued heavy firing an unremitting fusillade of many hours duration there were no casualties the battle however exercised such a terrifying influence over the peaceable citizens of the town that all that could left moorhead in fact the county was now in a state of anarchy the matter was reported to the governor who immediately ordered general john b castleman then adjutant general of kentucky to moorhead to investigate conditions there and to discover the causes of this shameful lawlessness general castleman in company with others went to moorhead and interviewed the adherents of the different factions and leading citizens of the county this commission on completing its mission reported its findings to the governor the result was that the leading spirits in the feud were summoned to louisville kentucky where a compromise was patched up between the belligerents both sides pledged themselves to return home to lay down their arms and to cease to molest each other this proceeding brought into prominence h m logan judge james carey and cook humphrey as adherents of the martin faction and craig tolliver dr jerry wilson and others as the tolliver faction leaders the agreement entered into at louisville intended to restore peace effected the opposite result it prevented prosecution of either side for the moorhead riot the leniency extended by the authorities merely emboldened and encouraged the warring parties the truce was violated by both sides within short time after it had been agreed to the factions charged each other with insincerity of secretly maintaining armed bands and preparing for renewed hostilities within a few weeks after the compromise at louisville conditions in rowan county were as bad as ever nay worse as we have stated the shooting of young the county attorney had been charged to the martin faction in retaliation for this crime the tollivers had murdered sheriff humphrey's deputy baumgartner subsequent developments then seemed to directly implicate cook humphrey in the shooting of young and this led to a renewal of active hostilities it appears that immediately after the treaty at louisville ed pierce the man who had so mysteriously appeared on the streets of moorhead in company with cook humphrey on the day of the riot was arrested in greenup county and taken to bath county for trial on a charge of robbery a jury found him guilty 
he was sentenced to the penitentiary for a long term. While confined in jail previous to his trial, he admitted his participating in the shooting of Mr. Young, implicating also Ben Rayborn of Carter County, a man but little known in Rowan County. In his confession, Pierce claimed to have been employed to kill Mr. Young by the sisters and family of John Martin, and that Sheriff Humphrey and Baumgartner, his deputy, had aided and assisted in arranging the details of the plot. Humphrey and the Martins indignantly denied every word of Pierce's confession, and asserted that he had been bribed by Mr. Young to make it for the purpose of destroying the prestige of the Martin family in the county, and to furnish the excuse for further outrages. Humphrey and the Martin family were now put under constant surveillance by the Tollivers. The Martin homestead, situated about one mile from Moorhead, became an object of special vigilance. Finally, on the evening of the 27th day of July, 1885, the Tolliver spies reported to their leader at Moorhead that two men had been seen around the Martin home. Instantly, everything was in commotion at the Tolliver headquarters. Craig Tolliver, Jeff Bowling, T.A. Day, and others, all sworn enemies of the Martins, surrounded the homestead in the dark of night and remained on watch until morning. End of section 12